Well, good morning. And uh, what am I doing? Must be the underarm deodorant I wore. Okay. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's been a long time. I'm really excited about this, and I hope you can endure it. Uh, you know, I, I heard a story, and uh, I thought it might be something that I could share with you. You know, there was a new preacher in town, and he was real evangelistic. And he was out walking in the community one day, and he came by an, an older farmer. I'm not sure if it was Ralph or not, but, uh, but uh, he's real enthusiastic. He's concerned about the guy's eternity, so he says, Ah, oh, brother, are you laboring in the vineyard of the Lord? Ralph turns around, Nah, these are soybeans. And so he says, Well, he said, uh, Are you a Christian? He said, Ah, oh, nah, you must be looking for Jim Christian. He's a mile south of here. The preacher, not to be undaunted, you know, not to be intimidated, he says, well, are you lost? And, and Ralph says, no, I've lived here all my life. And so the, the preacher says, well, are you ready for the resurrection? And so he stops and takes out his handkerchiefs and wipes his brow and says, well, uh, when's it going to be? And the preacher says, well, I'm not sure. It could be today, tomorrow, or the next day. And Ralph's contemplative there for a while, and he thinks, well, well, that's great, but don't tell Mick, because she's going to want to go all three days. <laughs> you know, as I don't know how many of you are up on hot rods and stuff, but the Hot Rod Magazine Power Tour was last Monday, and it was down in Champaign. And I went down to that, and it was amazing. It was amazing. It, uh, the stop before Champaign. They're going from somewhere in Michigan all the way down to Texas. And uh, the stop before Champaign, they had a total of the cars. There were 4,000 custom cars at that. And uh, we got there at 10 o'clock in the morning and left at 4 o'clock, and there were cars coming in the whole day, all the time. Nice cars, real nice cars. And I liked that. And I was looking at them, and there was one that caught my attention. We were standing by the entrance road there, and a black 57 Chevy that was, oh, high enough that you could crawl on a creeper under it without jacking it up, had a big chrome I-beam front end on it, white interior, and it was beautiful. It sounded great. It sounded like it could blow the doors off of anything there. It was outstanding. I'm sure all you ladies that are motorheads understand exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and anyway, this car comes rattling in and stops, and I, I, of course, made it a point to go walk over and look at it, and it was beautiful. The body was perfect. There's literally thousands of hours of work. If you looked at all the cars, there's literally millions of hours of work in that kind of a car. It was beautiful, beautiful. I went over to talk to the owner, and the owner is obviously committed to excellence, or maybe extremism. But uh, the guy was about that tall, but he looked like Rocky. He was huge. He was huge. He was muscled. He must have spent his life on a work weight bench. Not only that, he looked like Mike Tyson because he was fully tattooed. You could see he had a hat on, and there was a big tattoo coming down from his head. He was bald uh, under the top of his eyebrows. His arms were all just like a picture board. Everything, his legs and shorts. He was fully tattooed, built like Rocky with this beautiful car. You know, he has literally invested his life and a huge amount of time in accomplishing these things. You know, the tattooing probably just took a lot of dope to get him stoned enough to do it. But, the, but the, the car took many, many hours of labor. The, the bodybuilding took many, many hours of labor. And so, was it worth it? Was it worth it? You know, 
I'm sure that many of you have children that are athletes and have gone on to scholarship and athletics, and my kids did. I had three guys that scholarshiped in football at Trinity, and, and they spent a lot of time doing athletics. They spent a lot of time running track, uh, playing basketball, playing football. Justin, whom you all know, Justin and Jessica, the two that we had when we came here, uh, Justin decided he didn't want to work that hard for his schooling, so he went out to California and took a different road. He did it all on academic scholarships. He didn't want to, didn't want to exert as much effort as his big brothers did to get through with football. And that leads me to the question of what is worthy of our life investment? You know, I've told my kids ever since they were young enough to understand that you can be anything you want to be. It's just going to take your time. It's going to take your commitment. It's going to take the time in service to accomplish your goals. And I'm sure that's true for everyone here. There are varying intellects, varying physical capabilities and all that. But if you want to do something, you can do it. The question is, what do you want to do? What is worthy of our time investment? So for this, uh, this uh, Proverbs introduction, I would thought it might be wise to go to God and see what he has to say. So I've entitled this, uh, this message, Lifestyle Forensics. Anybody watch NCIS or NCIS Los Angeles or CSI? Okay, forensics is the search for the cause. You know, it's the what makes things happen. Why is what we have here? And uh, the term forensics actually means something that would stand up in court and be legally uh, provable. I would suggest this might be the court of life. Because when you collect as much gray hair as I have, or there's others here that have more gray hair, you start to realize that some of the choices we made in our past weren't as good as they could have been. And had we made different choices, our lives would be a lot different. Uh, Maybe you wouldn't wake up with sore knees and backs and stuff if you hadn't done stupid things like I did. And so the point being, lifestyle forensics, let's look into what God would have us to do. Now, the next slide should be the message summary. I've got to put a little caveat in here because I have had people tell me they can't understand my messages. Well, I enjoy doing this, so I've got a lot of commentary talk here and stuff like that. The only thing you've got to remember is that. That's the message summary. Uh, I've done this for quite a while. It's wanting God has proven to be wise. That's what I think the introductory material for Proverbs provides us with. We're going to look at a question next that comes from a source here. The next slide is Francis Bacon, who is the father of modern science, said that real knowledge or true knowledge is knowledge by causes. So what is a uh, cause of wisdom? Because I think that's what I want us to investigate here this morning. And uh, the next slide is that question. What is the source of wisdom and how do I get wise? Because I think wisdom is something that we will see God is directing us to. That's where we should invest our lives. And there's a lot of young people out there, and it's great. When I was your age, I was doing a lot of stupid stuff. Trust me. You guys have the choice to make decisions that will affect not only your physical life, but your eternity and the rewards that you'll receive that you'll live with in glory for all of your, all of your existence. What is wisdom? How do I get wise? What's the source of that? And so that's what I think we'll see as we go to the book of Proverbs. And before we dig into this, I would like to go to the author in a word of prayer. If you would join me, please.
Father, I do pray and ask you to bless this morning. We pray for your clear uh, communication from your spirit. We pray, Father, that your spirit will stir each of our hearts and draw us closer to you. Truly, Father, give us a desire for you because wanting you has proven to be wise. And Father, now as we look at your word, please uh, stir our hearts and draw us into Christ-likeness. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The source of wisdom is really God through men. We're coming into the book of Proverbs, and Trey's going to spend a lot of time in, in the book. But I want us to look at some of the bases for this book. There's actually five authors to the book of Proverbs. Solomon is the one I have listed here first, and we'll look at him a little bit more in just a minute here. He wrote roughly 25 chapters, 24 and a half if you want to split up the last one. The other guys, they wrote two, the wise men that we don't know who were or who they are, Agur, King Lemuel, and an unknown author for the, the virtuous woman section. Uh, but we have five authors, and the significance of that is the dates. Now, 971 is when Solomon started his reign, and 686 is when Hezekiah ended his reign. That's the period that's normally accepted for the writing and compilation of the book of Proverbs. So what? Okay, so what is that that means that there is like 300 years of people receiving direct communication from God who could say, hey, this doesn't work. This book is useless. God ain't real. They didn't. They accepted it as the word of God, inscripturated it, and preserved it for us in the book of Proverbs. The fact that there's 300 years of men who are gifted by God and just greatly, uh, what do you call, recognized or uh, honored by men that said, this is the way you should live. This is where you should invest your time. This is where you should invest your life. And it wasn't rejected. We're going to see another aspect of that in just a minute when Solomon is compared with some of the other wise men of his day. But this kind of data is not simply data. It's corroborating the reality of what Scripture tells us to do. Because if I'm going to invest my life in something, I want to know that it's worthwhile. You know, I spent a lot of time water sanding cars. I've won some prizes, had some cars in magazines. This net, but, you know, all that's going to be gone when I, when I kick off. In fact, it's almost gone now. But something that I do for God, being wise, making choices to obey him and honor him and live like he suggests is a wise way to live, will last for eternity. And you young guys that have your life ahead of you yet, that's where you need to invest your time. That black 57 Chevy, it was gorgeous. In my opinion, it would be one of the nicest at that show out of all those 4,000 cars or so. It was sweet, really, really nice. And I was looking for imperfections. It's going to turn to dust. It's going to be nothing. That guy invested a lot of time in his car. I invest a lot of time in my cars, and, and uh, obviously not bodybuilding. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the point is that let's, let's focus on what has real value. And what is being wise? Well, the source of wisdom comes through, from God, and Solomon wrote like 25 chapters of the book. So I want to look specifically at Solomon. Now, the scriptures will be on the board up here. The next slide here is 2 Chronicles 1, 8 through 12. I split it into two sides so you could actually read it. Listen, let me read with you. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. 
For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. I want to come back to what he says there, but I want to look at the next slide to finish this paragraph. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, not for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Flat back to the next, the previous slide, will you? Think about what Solomon demonstrated here. Now, I think you may have similar experiences that I do, you know. Hey, God's not really going to catch this thought of mine. God's not going to care about what I do here. I'm going to pull this off and get by with God. I'm not, you know, after all, if I don't pray about it, God doesn't know about it, right? So Solomon could be conning God, couldn't he? Hey, I want wisdom and knowledge because you're a great God, and he's laying all this syrupy sweet stuff on God so that he'll be able to get what he wants. Huh? He could be because he's really laying it on God about how he's so powerful. We don't know if Solomon was motivated yet. We don't know yet. We know in the next slide. We don't know yet why Solomon was asking for all this. Sometimes I scheme with God. Do you ever do that? You know, hey, God, you know, make me healthy so I can go make a bunch of money and live rich and happy, you know. Uh, I scheme with God, and I, I, I really tried to think of ways that I wanted to share that, and there aren't any that really I want to share, but I do it, and I know you do too. The next slide, though, tells us the key, and that's what the message of the book is. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire. You see, God looks on our heart. His eyes survey the world. He knows what I want. He knows what, I'm, what rings my bells. He knows I really like that 57 Chevy. Actually, cars were an idol to me before I got saved. And that's how I was a somebody, because I could make things pretty. But, but that's not what God wants. God wants me to idolize him. God wants my attention. Wanting God has proven to be wise. Solomon was not trying to con God. He truly did want wisdom to rule God's people, and God saw that, and God blessed his socks off. That is amazing to me because he was just a normal man with the same choices I have, you have. He wanted God and God blessed him. Maybe you think that since you're not the king of Israel or not in line for that, that it doesn't matter. But I want to ask you, have you ever asked God for wisdom to lead your family? Have I ever, as a husband and a father, asked God, God, give me wisdom so I know how to answer my kids when they come up to me and say, or ask me those hard questions. I'm sure you have, because I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of situations here, I know. But, but that should be part of our focus. You know, God has put us all in leadership positions somehow. We should ask God for that wisdom. Seek God, want God, and wanting God has proven to be wise. There's another passage on the next slide that also describes Solomon. I want to take a quick look at that. It's in 1 Kings 4.29. 
God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, sons of Mahal. Next slide, please. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. We've only got 25 chapters. And his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the, Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Think about what Solomon experienced. Right now, on Friday, I just painted a 1908 International Harvester car. It has a two-cylinder engine. It is amazing to me that it even runs. It looks like a huge chunk of boat anchor, but it runs. Can you, can, you think, can you think of what that guy that thought that up, how smart he was? I mean, it was a developmental process. I'm aware of that. But the original thought to come up with an internal combustion engine that burns gas and you can crank it and it starts and runs by itself and drives you down the road, that's crazy. That's, some guy's a lot smarter than me. Solomon was looking at weeds in the wall, hyssop. They don't know what it was. Hey, oh yeah, that's a... A hyssop, you know, I mean, uh, ah, how, how can you do that? You know, uh, my, uh, my nephew, Mark Rico, he, he, he is a very, very intelligent kid. And we used to go camping up in uh, my wife's father's place up in northern Michigan. Uh, and uh, I took the kids when they were little boys. Joel was, how old was Joel? Probably eight or nine or ten or something like that. Maybe not even that old. And we went out walking in the woods. And this kid, my nephew, Mark Rico, he's a little kid, a squeaky little kid. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's a, a Marius Havriangius. I said, what? <laughs> he knew the Latin names for this moss that was growing on trees. And the different way. I said, oh, my goodness gracious, this kid's going to be real. You know, he's a brilliant kid. And he really did know the Latin names for a lot of the different kinds of vegetation walking in the woods. Well, here Solomon actually looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that is a hyssop, and this is what it does, and this is how you can not get poison ivy when you touch it, you know, whatever it is. But the idea was that God blessed him so much that he was able to have original thought about the natural phenomenon that we live in. Man, if God would only do that to me so I could figure out, you know, something, you know, that, that would be great. But that's what he did because God promised him that he would give him the wisdom. Now, the second point that these slides make is that these guys that he says Solomon was smarter than all the people in his, in his neighborhood, if he was not, these guys would have probably brought libel suit against him. You know, they could disqualify the reality, the truthfulness of Scripture. See, the fact that these people are named gives the people of the day that were receiving this record, this word from God, an ability to verify it. Okay, God says that Solomon is smarter than Ethan the Ezraite. Well, how come Ethan the Ezraite can multiply 2 plus 2 and Solomon can't? This is, this, is, this is trash. This is not true. But they can go check it out. Yeah, he is. He's smarter than these guys. He knows what is just like you can today. 
you know, you, you see all these TV commercials that tell you if you buy, just buy the right wonder drug, you lose 25 pounds, you can keep on eating the way you are and keep on sitting in your easy chair and not doing a thing, you just lose it automatically. You know, that's, I'm not thinking that's going to be too real, you know. You can verify things like that, and that's the point of this, that God gave information and it was verifiable. Now, the next slide tells us something about the subject of the wisdom. What is wisdom? It's chukmah. This guy, Dr. Sid Buzzle, he's got all kinds of good credentials. Of the several words used for wisdom in Proverbs, the primary and most frequent one is chukmah. Now, what does that mean? Well, it uses the skill of craftsmen, sailors, singers, mourners, administrators, and counselors. These workers and others, being knowledgeable, experienced, and efficient in their areas of expertise, were considered skillful. They were wise. So, in the Bible's wisdom literature, being wise means being skilled in godly wisdom. Godly living, I mean. Godly living. Now, some of you are out there and you're on brain freeze because I've got all this stuff up here that you need to read. Just remember that wanting God has proven wise. These are people that are a lot more credible than I am that are telling us things about what God's wisdom is. That's why I want to share that with you, because it's not just something I've made up. This is something that people have analyzed, spent their lives studying, and so they can make these statements accurately. The wisdom of the Bible means skilled and godly living. You might remember in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about the kids that were still bottled, or the, the believers in the Hebrews letter is addressed to were still bottle babies, that they need to learn about the teaching of righteousness. That's not salvation righteousness, that's daily living. That's skilled and godly living. The, the Corinthians, they had all the gifts in 1 Corinthians. They're a totally gifted church, but in chapter 1 and chapter 3, God calls them babies. You're babies because... They're following men rather than God. So there is definite advancement possible, required, ex should be expected. And it's just being skilled in godly living. Now the next slide tells us something about what Proverbs are not. Proverbs are not promises. The, the proverb of uh, 1027 says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life but the years of the wicked are cut short. That is not an absolute truth. Just think about all the politicians that are old. Think about all the lawyers that are old. I mean, either God's lying to me or that's not real. That's not a promise. You can decide whether it's a positive side or a negative side. But the point is that they're just a inspired teachings and observation about how life normally works and how to effectively work at life. Train up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a lot of kids that have been raised in godly homes that have turned out sour, walked away from God. These are not absolute promises. They're just inspired observations of the way it normally works. God can work through our prayer and will work through our prayer, but these are not to be taken as prophecies or absolute promises. So having said that, what is the purpose of Proverbs? The next slide. Proverbs 1, 2 through 6 tell us that there are actually 10 points 
that Proverbs is specifically going to do for you and for me, for us collectively, for the church and the world, if you'd want to take it that far. The first purpose in Proverbs chapter 1, verse uh, 2, and let me read that. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their understanding or learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's ten things listed. Attaining wisdom. Boy, I really, really wish I would have picked up on that about 64 years ago. You know, there's a bunch of stuff I have here now. I'd put them on, but I'd get my pants dirty. By the way, I was going to wear shorts this morning, but my wife told me I shouldn't, so it's her fault. But, uh... The, uh, and you probably don't want to see my legs anyway. The uh, knee pads, they're the best thing since sliced bread, man. That's great because I'm on my knees a lot. You know what? I didn't wear these until about, what, well, right before we moved here I bought these. Uh, I wore knee pads probably since maybe the middle 90s. I, I spent 40 years of my life ruining my knees because it would be a wuss to wear something like this. Notice they're color-coded. Red is right, so I can put them on easily. Okay? Same thing, I, I have about a 60% hearing loss because I never wore one of these. Boy, if you wore one of these in a body shop, goodness gracious, man. You know, where you need to go to use the ladies' room. You know, that, that's definitely not cool. This is another thing. This is horrible to wear. Put this on. This goes to an air-fed respirator so I don't die before my kids do or I get to see my kids live, I guess I should say that. The uh, air-fed respirator. I, I guess I, I will die before my kids do, I hope. But uh, the point being that these are safety items that I never, ever considered. I didn't get saved till I was 30 years old. I spent 10 years figuring out what the wisdom of God is to get this stuff because the new paint gives you isocyanate poisoning. It deteriorates your brain cells and destroys your liver and does all kind of cool things. That's when I went out and bought this. I read those tech articles. But, you know, if I would have had that stuff back when I was 20, 25, 30, I probably wouldn't have worn it because I would have been a cis if I did. I was so caught up in what people thought of me and, and what my idea of what manhood was, I didn't have any idea what God said. If I would have read the Proverbs, maybe... I uh, would still have, you know, good lungs and knees that didn't hurt, and I could hear. Attaining was attaining discipline, and that doesn't mean getting spanked. It means knowing what to do so you don't get spanked. Understanding words of insight, figuring out what people say, acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Again, being smart. Get smart. That's why Trace Collins is, is a great title. Doing what is right, just, and fair. Isn't that what we all want? I mean... We want to be treated correctly. We want to be treated justly, fairly. And that's usually how you can determine the universal moral law, if I wanted to get into apologetics, but you usually know it when it happens to you. Oh, you didn't treat me fair. Well, how about you treating the other guy? This teaches you how to do that. Next slide finishes the five. 
The, uh, the remaining five on the next slide would be, uh, let me write, read it here because I don't remember, uh, giving prudence to the simple, giving knowledge and discretion to the young, giving learning to the wise, giving guidance to the discerning, for understanding other wise people. I mean, who doesn't want that? Anybody want to be stupid the rest of your life? I was for a long time, thought that, thought that was cool. If, if maybe, I, uh, being the bonehead that I was, I'm not sure if it would have made a difference, but if maybe if I would have known something of the Proverbs when I was a kid, I wouldn't have done so much stupid things in life that I did. And you, you young men and women, you got your life ahead of you. Follow God, because wanting what God wants for you is wise, and that may pay off in the end. You may not end up not having to be a politician or a lawyer, you know, but, but that brings us to the theme of Proverbs, and the theme is really very simple. The next slide will tell us that the fear of God is the theme of Proverbs. Now, Mark Driscoll just told us in Sunday school that it's daddy, and I agree with that 100%. But there's more when you say daddy. My dad was 6'4", weighed 250 pounds, uh, had, was, a, was a Golden Gloves boxer and all this and that, and I feared him. One day when I was a kid, my mom was whipping me with a belt, and I was big enough that I could put my arm out, and the belt wrapped around my arm, and I pulled it away from her. I was cool. I was sharp. I, got, I avoided the beating until my dad got home. And I would have much preferred my mom to spank me with the belt. He used his hand and about killed me. But, I mean, he was more than daddy. He was somebody that I feared. Now, my dad was not the epitome of a father, and none of us are. But the point being that this fear of the Lord is not a trembling, I'm scared of God kind of a thing. But it does give us a couple of very important things to know. That God is all-powerful. He made me who I am. He made you who you are. He could also have made us a toad or some dandelion in a field somewhere. God is the creator, omnipotent, all-powerful being that we depend on for life. So there's more than just, Daddy, help me. That's what he relates to us through Christ for sure but we've got to consider also the reality of who he is. And we'll get to that in just a minute because Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline or instruction. Think of what that presupposes. We'll look at a couple more of these because it's the theme of Proverbs. It runs completely through the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. But this assumes the existence, the reality and the knowability of God. By the way, knowability came up on my spell checker as a non-word, so I might have made that up. But the, the knowability of God, we can know this God that created us and tells us how to live. The, his existence is never questioned. And he's real. That's all assumed in this one verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The same way in Genesis 1. It, God is assumed. It's never questioned until we get to the, the modern era when the, uh, the big brains of our, our world decided that they could question the reality of God. But also, wisdom is developed through a teachable relationship with God. 
Just because we realize that God is all-powerful and that he died for me doesn't mean that I automatically become wisdom, I mean become wise. It means that now I'm on the beginning steps of that development of wisdom. I need to be teachable. I've got to learn from what God says. Even though I know what's right, maybe I could trust God to have a little more insight than I've got. A teachable relationship. Proverbs 9.10 on the next slide continues this theme. And it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How hard do you guys that just graduated from grade school and graduated from high school and graduated from college, how hard have you worked passing the tests in school or knowing the material? Come to that final, all my kids, I've got more kids in school than I know what to do with. All of them sweat bullets at finals time. They, they work hard at having that knowledge. When you're in the professional world, you work hard at being good at what you do. Do you think that maybe I should work that hard at knowing the Holy One, God? Knowing His Word so that I can please Him? Because I will stand before Him one day. So will you if you're trusting Christ as your Savior. That's the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom. Next slide. And this is probably the only verse in the Bible that I would question the truthfulness of. It says that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. My wife is more beautiful today than when I married her, so I'm not sure if it's running away or gaining, gaining ground. So that's why I would question that. She's here today. So. Uh, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, the guys that do all the time studying Scripture and analyzing things, use the reality. This is at the very end of the book of Proverbs. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 1 is at the very beginning. That brackets the book. And then 9.10 is in the middle. That is the Hebrew way or the literary way of emphasizing truth and bringing that to the front. This woman who fears the Lord is the epitome of a wife. And I've got her. And you have the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom at the beginning of the book. That's, That's how... That theme is expressed in literature. Now, the next slide should tell us here something about this guy, Tom Constable. Uh, oops. Tom Constable notes that a person is wise to the extent that he or she apprehends and fears God. This is that explanation of what fear is. The fear of God does not meet a dread that results in hiding from him. It's rather an emotional recognition of God. It's not fear that he may hurt me, but fear that I may hurt him. That's what motivates me for holy character and righteousness. The fear of the Lord is an emotional understanding of who God is. It's like knowing that uh, the power that is there and available to you and, and realizing with awe that he's our God. Uh, Dr. Constable, by the way, is one of, the, was one of my profs down at seminary, one of Pastor Trey's at his seminary. He's, he's written quite a bit about the New Testament, and he's an excellent godly man. The uh, next, next slide continues that quote. I'm going to have three slides that have his quotes on Intellectual apprehension of God precedes this emotional recognition in other words, you've got to understand the reality of who God is, and that sh- 
generates or breeds an emotional response, the fear of the Lord. And that, in turn, leads to a volitional submission. That means it's because I want to. I want to know God. It's my choice. I can. Volitional submission to God's will follows it. When a person comes to this emotional recognition, he or she comes to the condition for being wise. It doesn't automatically make you wise. It just puts you in the right place to learn and grow and become wise. We can begin to be wise only when we come into proper relation to God as ultimate wisdom. Again, I, I've sat here and listened to Trey present the invitation, the salvation message. I hope all of you are trusting Christ as your Savior. If you're not trusting Christ as your Savior, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's not painful. <laughs> it's wise. And it's the beginning of wisdom. The next slide continues Constable's quotes. And he's analyzed this book and he comes up with this statement. I would like to consider what God has revealed here in the three spheres of life dealt with in the book of Proverbs. The home, friendship, and the world. In the home, the child must learn wisdom. In friendship, the youth must apply wisdom. And in the world, the adult must demonstrate wisdom. That's awful good. I like that. That's why I put these quotes up here, because these guys can say this stuff so much better than I can. Basically, wisdom should be the product of our life. We learn it in the home, deal with it, and use it in relationships, friendships, and then express it in adult life. Because that's what life, or that's how life will be successful. The next quote is also from Constable, and he summarizes the message. I would summarize the message of Proverbs this way. The person who learns the fear of God, that's an emotional recognition of who God is, in every sphere of life will be successful. But those who forget God will fail. By an emotional recognition of God, I mean taking God into account. Now, I got this highlighted up there. That is, being aware of his reality and presence, making decisions in view of his existence and revelation. This is what fearing God means. It does, what it doesn't mean is putting God out here somewhere or on a Sunday morning church experience. Fearing God means incorporating the reality of his existence into my thought process, my daily living, the choices I make what I do. That summary is what the book of Proverbs is about, fearing the Lord, living life, understanding who God is, and knowing that he's our daddy, and he does love us and wants what's best for us. The next slide is what I call my takeouts, takeouts from Proverbs introduction. The first thing is, comes from uh, the NCIS program, the forensic evidence leads us to define wisdom as fearing God or wanting God. Wanting God has proven to be wise. Solomon, all those guys that are talked about in the Bible, the biblical record provides us with a record of those men and women who have feared God and those who have rejected God. We have the historical record of what the pro, the, those two choices produce. And the wisest man in the world feared God. 
And then a proverb that I think is one of the highlights of the book of Proverbs is 423. And I'll read that. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When God tells us, above all else, guard your heart, because you may want to spend your entire life building a black 57 Chevy with a chrome I-beam axle, and what a waste of a life, if that's all there is. That's not bad. I hope. I've done a lot of those. But your focus should be on wanting God, like Solomon did. God knew that Solomon's heart's desire was to serve him effectively. Is your heart's desire, is my heart's desire what it should be? Do we want more than anything else to love God, to do God's will? Above all else, guard your heart, because your life is going to spring from that. It's the wellspring of life. Would you pray with me, please?